So we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 5 through 13, although we're going to start in John chapter 16 as introduction. Um, and we'll have um, three studies looking at this portion of Scripture, and the title is Pray Like Jesus. When you hear about a series on prayer, I'm sure we get there's probably all kinds of thoughts going on right now. For some of you, um, maybe you're just you're brought to tears because of the way the Lord has answered your prayers. The way that He's worked and moved in your life recently to bring things into place, and you stand back, and you're just coming out of a season, and you're like, wow, the Lord has heard me when I called. Uh, maybe some of you are like, oh man, last time I sat through a, pa- uh, a teaching on prayer, I felt so condemned and beat up, and, and I promise I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to convict us with prayer, but really, my, I, I, I'm not going to try to drive you into prayer. I want to put out the potential of being in the presence of the Lord as being such a glorious thing. You can't help but to run into prayer and to seek Him. We need to pray more. We know that. I need to pray more. I know that. We all understand this. So uh, the the intention is not to make you feel guilty and to hound you into the prayer meetings and into your own prayer closet. I know how long that lasts. It doesn't last very long, does it? But if we go because Jesus is there... Ah, then it's different. If we're going to prayer, we're going to our prayer closet because that's where we meet with the Lord, then that will keep us in that place of praying. And that's what I pray the, the word of the Lord will do. That's what I pray as I, I make comments about the Lord and his desire for prayer, that you'll just see this as some fantastic, amazing, can't believe it opportunity to go and talk to the Lord. In John chapter 16, verses 23 through 27, and this is part of our introduction here, but we get this promise of answered prayer. Jesus says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. They got real used to talking to Jesus. Not bad, right? He's uh, performing miracles, he's answering their prayers. But he says, he's preparing them for when he goes away. And he says, listen, you're going to be able to talk directly to the Father. Verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Your heavenly Father is willing to hear your prayers because he loves you. Jesus says, I don't even, you don't even, I don't need to go ask for him. He is so into you and what you have to say, he's going to listen to your prayers himself because he loves you. That is our Heavenly Father. The central theme of this paragraph is there in verse 24, asking you shall receive that your joy may be, what? Full. If we are not living prayer-filled lives, we are not going to have that joy that is filling our hearts and our lives. Why is that? Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Write it down, Psalm 1611. It's a verse that will change your life. 
But it's in the presence of the Lord that we pray. It's in his presence that we find the fullness of joy, interacting and connecting with the Lord. He wants us to have an assurance that the Father will hear and that the Father will answer. Um, I have a series, I think it's about seven verses here that I want to read to you. And I'm going to, each of them are going to come up on the screen. And they all essentially have the same message. And I'm going to read each one of them because I want you to see the repetition. And just know that in these, you know, we're going to look at seven of these. We could probably look at 17 or 27 or 37 or 97 prayers that affirm the Lord's heart for us to come to him. But I, I want you to see it's God's idea that we pray. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 21, 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Mark eleven twenty four, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. John 14, 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And lastly, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. What do you think? The Lord wants us to pray because the Lord wants to answer our prayers. We're quick to ask others for help and assistance, to come in, to step in. But the Lord says, ask me, ask of me. In the Old Testament, the Lord distinguished himself from all the other gods that were worshipped throughout the land. And there was, idolatry was rampant. There were so many gods and goddesses that, throughout um, that region. But he says, you want to know how you can know that I am the true and living God? You can know because, what, what does he say? I answer prayer. Think about that. God distinguishes himself from every other so-called God because he's the God that really has ears to hear and really has hands to touch and really has feet to move into action. He has eyes to see. He has a mouth to speak. The idols are... He calls them just dumb idols, sticks of wood. You can make a table, you can make a God, or you can bake your bread with that. Same piece of wood. But he says, I'm the living God. And so we have this assurance, and I pray that you will see that. Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is not the thing we do when we've tried everything else and it's failed. Now, if you're at that point, do pray. But that's not the way the Lord wants it to be. He wants us to come to him first and foremost and to petition him. James says, we have not because. That's a troubling verse a little bit, isn't it? Or maybe a lot. We have not. I don't have things because I haven't asked the Father for those things. We need to ask of him. What do you lack in your life today? 
It may be. It may be. I don't know. That it's because of a lack of prayer. Certainly scripture tells us that that is a possibility. We have been given the incredible privilege to come to God and ask him for help, to ask him for direction, to ask him for healing, to ask him for provision, and many, many other things. So an open door is there for us, an open door that can change our life and change the world around us. Now we noticed in this, these verses that we read about believing and trusting, and belief and faith is, is so key. This is the Lord's idea. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is what the Lord wants us to do. He could do no mighty work because of unbelief. And in Matthew, repeatedly, more than any other gospel, we read, and they received according to their faith, according to their belief. Faith is God's idea. He wants us to be trusting, believing people. But faith is not the object of our prayers. Think about that. What does that mean? Faith is not the object of our prayer. Faith is what leads us to pray to the object of our prayers. And it's not an it, it's a he. It's the Lord himself. We need to be careful that we never make faith the object of our prayers. If I could only have enough faith, then I would have. And so the whole focus then becomes upon me getting to a proper level of faith so now I can have what the Lord wants to give to me. And I ask you, what is that proper amount of faith? Is a proper amount of faith the kind of faith that the man at the gate beautiful had who sat there for nearly four decades, day after day asking for alms as people went in to pray in the temple? And when John uh, and James came by, he says, hey, I need some money. They said, we don't have any money, but we do have something else. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he was healed that very instant. How much faith did that guy have? It, faith, it doesn't even seem like he's in the realm of it. And, I, and I, some people have agreed. So, well, we don't know that he didn't have faith. Okay, well, he's not asking for healing. I'm not saying he was a faithless man, but at that moment, God was wanting to do something. And he didn't know it. But there are some other people that believe that God could. Or, or we could talk about the prayer meeting for Peter. We talked about this on Wednesday night not so long ago. But the prayer meeting for Peter when he had been thrown in jail. They gathered together. Lord, we pray for him. We don't know exactly what they prayed, but we know what happened in the jail cell while they were praying. The, the chains fell off. The doors opened. The angel woke Peter up. The angel said, get dressed. The angel said to Peter, now will follow me out. It's like, Peter was in a stunned state. You can imagine that. Is that an angel in my sleep? Wake up, Peter. Okay. Now, now get dressed, Peter. <laughs> this is a jailbreak. We're, you know, hurry up. You know, <laughs> let's go. So he comes to the house where they're praying and asking for him, whatever they're asking. I think it's, I don't think it's, you know, taking a big leap to say, Lord, protect him and, and just deliver him. And he knocks on the door and they open the door. And what happens next? The door is slammed in his face, and they go in and report that there must be a ghost of Peter outside. So I ask you, how much faith do you have to have? They were at a prayer meeting, a first century apostolic prayer meeting, and they answer for the announcement that Peter is at the front door is, it must be a ghost. Check your theology, folks. I mean, how did you arrive at that? 
So how much faith is enough faith? There's a father who was told or asked by or told by Jesus that he could heal his son, but to believe. And the father's response was, uh, there might be a problem there. I, I do believe. I'm here. I'm asking. But you might want to help my, my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. So I don't want to minimize faith, but we certainly should not make faith the object of our prayers. You know, if you show up to pray, that very well may be all that needs to happen and to ask the Lord. And for us to begin to put a heavy trip on people that they don't have because they have not had enough faith, I, tell you, I get very skeptical. I get very um, protective when I begin to hear that because what is enough faith? Faith of a mustard seed. How much faith is that? You could walk into a room and not even see it. That's how little that faith is. If you have enough faith to call upon Jesus and you know you need his help, you're, you're in the game. Now, he may want to develop that faith in you to make it grow, but you're in the right place. So if you haven't received, yes, it is possible. It is possible that a rejecting of Jesus Christ, that kind of unbelief could keep you. But... Don't let anybody put a trip on you. If there's something you've prayed for and it hasn't come to pass, understand that God has a, a will, but he also has a perfect timing, doesn't he? God has perfect timing. The children of Israel were so glad that the, the Red Sea happened to part on the week they were there. It would have been really bad if somebody, you know, you had a Bedouin hanging out there at the, the sea's edge and the army's coming down. And like, well, you know, you should have been here last week because last week this thing opened up and People are walking across on dry ground, and then it closed. I mean, that's exactly what you guys need, but oh, well, you missed it. No, there's perfect timing. And some of the things that we're praying for, that we have enough faith for, I'm not going to say perfect faith, but enough faith for God to work and move, it's just a matter of timing. And so trust in the Lord, wait on the Lord. As we move into uh, Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 5 through 8, we begin with some things we should not do in prayer. How not to pray. And verses 5 through 8 gives us a couple of things we should not do. So let's read these verses, 5 through 8. Matthew 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. So two things. You pray without pride and pray without repetition. Let's talk about this pride thing. Well, and even let's back up. And when you pray, which assumes what? That we're praying. What is prayer but talking to God? It's speaking to Him and Him speaking to us. And I want to spend some time on that in the coming studies about Him speaking to us. But when you pray, it's the expectation is that we are going to be a people who pray. Don't be like 
actors and actresses. That's what the word, the word hypocrite means. You know, when somebody plays, um, acts out a role in a movie or a play or whatever it may be, that's not who they are. They're acting like that person. They're saying the things they're doing. They're behaving the way that person would act. How many of you remember Happy Days? How many of you remember Happy Days? Oh, no. That's it? Okay, Happy Days. Fonzie, you know, uh, Henry Winkler was acting out the role of Fonzie. How many of you were shocked the first time you ever saw Henry Winkler in an interview outside of his leather jacket? Was anybody just like, what? You're not cool? I thought you were the Fonz. You know, you're, you're just like a normal guy. He was acting. I'm sure he's a great guy. I know it'd be bad if he was in here right now, but I mean, <laughs> but, but you get the point. They, somebody's acting out. And he says, don't be actors and actresses when you pray. Let it be real. Well, what was the thing that was making it fake? Well, what was fake about it is that they really weren't praying to God. Who were they praying to or for? For themselves to get the accolades of how spiritual they are. And he says, don't you stand in the synagogues to get the notoriety. You stand on the street corners, which um, the thought is that in the towns, there was a time in which they would pray. They'd be going to the synagogues or if they're in Jerusalem, they'd be making their way to uh, uh, the temple, but they would make certain that they left their house so that there was not enough time to get to that place. But there was enough time to get to the busiest street corner. So they would arrive there at the hour of prayer. Oh, well, I didn't make it to the synagogue or to the temple. But then they would begin to pray and everybody would look at them. And Jesus says, that's what they get. They get the, uh, you know, whatever the thoughts are of the people that are walking by them. Whether they are good or bad, that's all they get. They don't get what they're asking for. So the Lord's like, don't come with pride. We need to come with humility. Pride is the antithesis of humility, and humility is necessary for prayer, for true prayer. To even pray is to admit the need for the Lord. To acknowledge, I don't have what it takes to get it done, and if I could get something done, I don't trust that's what I want or should be done. So Lord, don't just allow me to do my own thing. I want you to be working and moving in my life and through my life. I want you to be bringing things into my life. Lord, I don't know. I have my eyes on you. I'm trusting in you. And so there's a humility about uh, prayer that the Lord wants us to have. So pray without pride, but positively, pray with humility. And you know, humility is a prayer that is like, Lord, this is what I think I want, but I really don't know at the end of the day. I want what you want. Any of you ever wish that um, you know, the president could have a line item veto power? This is something that's been talked about in politics forever. Just say, you know what, we're going to pass this bill, but this, this part's coming out. You want God to have line item veto in your prayer, to be able to change that prayer. And maybe what we've prayed for is most of it's right, but this one aspect. I can make a really long list of things I'm glad the Lord did not answer my prayers for. Can any of you think of that? Like, oh, I wanted this or I wanted that, and then you see it down the road, you're like, Phew. 
I am so glad you did not do that in my life. I'm glad, Lord, that you, you overrode and you did the good thing. So there's a humility there when you come and pray. Lord, I want what you want. I want you to be honored and magnified in my life. The other thing he says there in verse 7 is to pray without vain repetitions. He says, do not use vain repetitions. Use vain repetitions. It's a single Greek word. It's bata logeo. And it's a kind of a fun word here. Um, although Jesus is saying, don't do this. And it means much more than just repeating yourself. It does mean that, but it means more than that as well. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. And it's a word that is an onomatopoeia. Isn't that fun to say that? Onomatopoeia. And, and those are um, words that sound like what you're describing. So what sound does a bee make? And a snake does what? Okay, and a hiccup is an onomatopoeia word. Because when you hiccup, it sounds like what? Hiccup, yeah. That, that's the kind of word that Jesus is, is using here, is don't use words that really, um, they don't have any true depth or meaning to them. It's the idea of st purposely stammering in a, a particular pattern of speech, using the same kind of word over and over again, and... Your mind is disengaged. The Lord doesn't want you to have a disengaged mind. We're to worship the Lord in spirit and in what? Truth. He wants our hearts and our heads involved in the prayer process. And so he says, don't utter senseless sounds or speak indistinctly or incoherently. Talk. Talk to the Lord. And what he says at the end of verse 8 is, because God knows what you need. This might be actually a reason why some of you think, I don't even see the reason why I pray. If God knows what I, I need, why doesn't he just answer it? Easy, easy. Two, two answers for that. Number one, prayer is not so much about getting what we want as it is about the Lord changing us in the process of it. We're not trying to change God in prayer. We're wanting God to change us. For his kingdom to come, we'll see, and his will to be done. But there's another reason why we should pray to the Lord, even though he knows what we have need of. And every, every parent of a teen gets this. Every parent of a little kid that's running in and running out and asking for this and asking for that knows it. Now listen, I, I'm not every parent is like me, and I would love to do this to my kids, partly because I just wanted to sit down with them, but I'm also kind of honoring, if the truth be told. So they would come running in, and I would know, they're out there with their friends. They're running inside, so they're coming in to say, can so-so come in? Can I go to their house? Can we do this? Can we do that? I know that they're about to ask something, and they would say, hey, Dad, can I? I say, hang on, come on. Before you ask me, come here, sit down. Dad, it's a, i got to let you know. And they're in a hurry, and they're rushing through. I'm like, sit down. How's your day going? You know, it's just like, again, it's somewhat ornery. But also the idea is I want to interact with you. I want to have a relationship with you. And the Lord knows what you have need of, but he still wants you to come and sit down with him and commune with him and to not you know, just speak out these you know, uh, meaningless words and um, just hoping that something works. Oh, God knows what you have need of, so just let him know about it. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what is on your mind. So pray to your Father that understands you and sees you. 
It's really encouraging. He knows what you have need of, which means his eyes have been on you this week. It's been on you today. He knows about the text, the email, the phone call, the interaction you just had. He knows. He knows. He's, he's informed about you. Prayer is not to inform God. All right, Lord, here I am again. My name's Troy. And I just thought I'd tell you a few things that happened this week so you could just be aware. And then, I don't know, maybe you could do something. No. He already knows everything. So I'm coming and I'm bringing that request before him for the sake of relationship, for the sake of maybe having my heart changed through this time. Well, how should we pray? Well, verse 9, the first phrase of verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father. Pray knowing God is your Father. I've already touched on this a little bit, but addressing God as our Father speaks of the intimate relationship we have with Him. I mean, it's fine to, to pray to the Lord, and there's examples of, of, the, of this in the Scripture. As oh God of the universe, awesome and powerful, you know, who's above all and in all and through all. I mean, these are great, large statements to make about the Lord, and it encourages our heart, but He's also your Father. He is your Father. He's your Dad. And He knows what you have need of, and He wants you to come and to ask of Him for those things you have need of. When we come to our Father, we're not coming to some angry old ogre in the sky that's a superpower that wants to remind us every second or two, just watch yourself because I could destroy you in a second. That's not who we are talking to. We're talking to a benevolent Abba Father. He's not a tight-fisted benefactor that if you can just make a good enough case that he's willing to make a donation to your cause because you can, you know, tell him, well, if you do this, you know, you're going to help out many other people. And if you do this also, I think many people will want to become a follower of yours too. So, Lord, if you'll give me that car, I can bring a lot of people to church. And you need people at church, Lord. And we're, we're trying to sell him on the request because we have this thought that if I don't do that, he couldn't possibly just want to answer my request and give me a car or whatever it is that I have need of. Why? He's your father. He's your father. Matthew 18, verses 2 through 4, Jesus emphasized the importance of coming as little children. He says, Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Lord wants us to be humble like children coming and sitting with him. That's what the Lord desires from us. Addressing the Lord as our Father should remind us that God is not only uh, one we have a relationship with, but he is our provider and our comforter. Isn't this what dads do is they provide and they comfort they hear what's going on and um this is your heavenly father addressing god as father reminds us also that i owe my very existence to him it's his idea that i'm here and if he was not happy with me being here he could take me out could have never brought me in but i am here and I remain here. 
And the one who has brought me and given me my existence, my father, says, come and talk to me. And then there in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, or the next you know, phrase in verse 9, is our father where? In heaven. And that speaks of God's authority. I pray recognizing that he's my father, but I also pray recognizing he is my authority, that he is the one that is full of authority. In heaven, it distinguishes him from earthly fathers. Good earthly fathers, Jesus talked about in Luke 11, 11 through 13. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can you ask for anything greater than the abiding presence of the Spirit of God in your life? That's it. That's the top of the mountain in terms of prayer requests. And you can receive that just by asking, does the Holy Spirit dwell within you, believer? Yes, he does. Does he empower you? Does he lead you? Does he guide you? Is he present? You're like, well, I don't know if he's present. All right, let me ask the question another way. Have you ever been convicted of sin in your life? Okay, then. You know that he's present. He's there. That prayer has been answered. If he the abiding presence of God is present in your life. How much more will he give you the bread that you need or the egg that you need? He's not going to give you something terrible. So this is our heavenly father. You can have a good father that gives you good things, but your heavenly father says, but I'm better and I can do more and I can do greater things in your life. In heaven speaks of the authority that he has. You know, you get called into the principal's office trying to make a statement. You know, it's different than just walking up to you out on the playground or going to you in the cafeteria. If you get called into the principal's office, which that happened to me a lot, I'm an expert on that, it's not good. I never was called into the principal's office just to say, hey, Troy, how's your day going? Never once happened. So I get called in, it's like, oh, that's a place of authority. If the president wants to makes an announcement, any president wants to make an announcement and says, I will be speaking from the Oval Office at 5 p.m., that's an exclamation point saying, I have something really, really important for you to say. I'm going to speak from a place of authority. A judge speaks from the bench. I mean, you see, location many times adds a sense of authority. And so the Lord, when we pray to him, he is in heaven. It's not just authority, though. It also speaks of power. You know, a lot of moms and dads have wanted to do things for their kids that they believe to be good and helpful and healthy, and yet they lack the authority or the power to get it done. Every parent knows that limitation. But your heavenly father has never once encountered that problem. Because he always has the authority to do it, and he always has the power to do it. Is it harder for the Lord to give you a nickel or to give you $5,000? Or $5 million? It's the same for the Lord. He has really deep, you know, cushions in his couch, all right? You may scrounge for that nickel, 
Well, the Lord, I mean, he just, when he scrounges, he comes up with $5 million. It's not harder for the Lord to heal a headache than it is for him to heal some life-threatening disease. God is able. God is able to work and to move. And so when we pray to our Father who's in heaven, it should remind us of his ability to get it done. To have confidence that he can. The fact that he's our father means he wants to. That he's in heaven means he can. And so we should come and we should pray like Jesus, our father who's in heaven. This is how the Lord would have us to come. And you don't have to be afraid to come to your father and ask him because he loves you. And he's wanting to work in your life. He's wanting to manifest himself and you into the world, and he will choose to do this through the things that we ask, the things that we pray for. Today, um, we're going to share in communion. And um, a verse I, I meant to read and I skipped over is, actually, let me back up to it. Let me go turn my notes. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'll just turn there. I don't know where it is. Right there it is. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's the holiest? That's the most holy place. You had the temple. And then the temple, you had a, this sanctuary. And that sanctuary was divided in two parts. The larger section had priests going in and out of that all day long every day, but only the priests. The inner part, the most holy place, was the Holy of Holies, was where the Ark of the Covenant was, and those two rooms were separated by a, a very thick veil. Don't think of like veil, a veil you know, thin like this, but like a woven uh, pieces of material, some 18 inches I've heard, maybe thick. And the high priest only was allowed to go in there once a year. And when Jesus was hanging and dying on the cross, his body here is now being referred to as, his, as the veil. And we know what happened to his body. It was turned into ribbons from the scourging he went through. It was torn apart. His blood was spilled. But while Jesus was on the cross, there was a great earthquake. And there in the physical temple in Jerusalem... From at the top to the very bottom, that veil was ripped in two, signifying the way into the holiest has been made open. There's no more stopping you. Now that temple is long gone. So what's the significance to us? Well, that temple was made off, uh, was a copy of the original temple. Do you know where the original temple is? If you were here on Wednesday nights a few weeks ago, we read about it. It's in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant is in this temple in heaven. And when we have this speak of this veil being ripped open and having access, we have access into the throne room, into the most holy place in heaven to ask the Lord. But it was Jesus's sacrifice on the cross for us that made way for us to come. And we keep reading there in verse 20, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's that? 
you belong there. You belong in the presence of the Lord before that throne room of of grace to receive mercy and to receive help in your time of need. So in just a moment, the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to pass out the elements. And as the bread comes around and as the cup comes around, it reminds us of the Lord's veil, his body that was torn. It was torn that we might have access to come. And Jesus said, when I go away, you can talk directly to your heavenly father because he loves you. You can pray in my name. And he will give you those things that you have need of. And so as the communion elements are coming around, hold on to them. We'll all share in just a moment. But ask the Lord. Thank the Lord for that open door. And then ask the Lord for those things that you have need of. And give him that place of authority in your life, knowing that he's your father to say, and by the way, Lord, do whatever you want. Just do something in my life. And I'll receive it, and I will rejoice. Have that humility before him, and watch the Lord answer our prayers.